Welcome everybody. This is another week of Deconstructing the Psyche. I am your host, Michael, and with me as always is my co-host, Eamon. How's it going? Eamon, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Another week. Another week. Are you ready to do this? I am ready. I... I'm I'm liking this. We're, we're kind of in a groove now. It seems we're, we're this is the fourth week, fourth movie. The number four is very significant, especially in Jungian psychology. It means a lot, and so I'm I'm excited. I'm excited about this. The fourth. This is a great movie. It was really interesting to watch. I'm looking forward to your take on the movie. Uh, before we get into this movie, I, I just wanted to reflect on last week's. Um, podcast and uh, I thought it was you know I, I liked our conversation I thought we were going head to head a little bit hmm. uh, I did think that I was pushing my point really hard so I appreciate you kind of sticking with it <laughs> yeah that's a great that was a great conversation yeah, I don't think either of us were willing to back down it seems nor should we I mean we should all both have the opinions that we have especially given <laughs> Our clinical backgrounds. Yeah. I mean, especially um, these kinds of movies are open to interpretation, subjective interpretation. So yeah. I can look at it from one perspective and you can look at it through your perspective and mm-hmm. it's totally correct. Yeah. So I appreciate it. I just wanted to make sure I recognize that before we jumped in this week. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So this week we decided to watch the Machinist or the Machinist. <laughs> The Machinist, right? <laughs> I keep thinking Machinist because of that movie Ex, Ex Machina. Machina. We should watch that movie that at one point. That is an interesting movie. I did do one of my YouTube videos on Ex Machina. Yeah, yeah. If anyone hasn't checked that out, check out um, uh, Mike's Psyche Matters. Psyche Matters. Yeah. yeah, that's a good YouTube. one on YouTube. Um, yeah, but so I think it's The Machinist probably, right? Yeah, he is a machinist, right? That's an actual job i think so yeah it was a good movie um i don't know where to start i okay do you want me to start i have something i want to start with yeah go ahead and start so the thing that i was thinking about as i was watching this film and i think even before i watched this film this idea was coming to my mind and my question is can we label this movie call this movie a term I'm coining, and perhaps somebody else has already coined this term, but I haven't cared to check on the internet, so I'm just going to coin it myself, and hopefully nobody tries to attack me afterwards. But <laughs> uh, is this a purely psychological film? And so do you want to know what I mean by purely psychological film? Yeah, okay. <laughs> a film which is meant to be a subjective representation of some form of reality and which is kind of devoid of any type of objective reality. That's what it felt like to me. It felt like a a confrontation with his unconscious Mm -hmm. throughout the film. Mm -hmm. Even towards the end, it felt like he was confronting his unconscious, which is Ivan. So uh, I don't think you're incorrect in your interpretation Okay. Or the term that you're using now. Okay. I'm not sure if anybody's used that term before, pro- probably, but I thought it kind of fit this film in that 
we don't really see too much objective reality, it seems. It seems that a lot of this movie is symbolic and is using different parts of the movie as representations of perhaps different psychic states that the main character is supposed to be going through. Mm. And so I was thinking that maybe that's something that we could start off doing is looking at some of the symbology, if you will, sure. that is occurring in different parts of the film. Okay. So I made a, a list oh. and I kind of have an idea of what I think these things are, are supposed to mean, but I was going to ask you your opinion and then I can kind of like say what I think and maybe we can see if we can come to some type of agreement. Sure. Okay. So the first one that I think is a, a symbol for some type of psychic state is the character's weight issue that he's experiencing. So that's one of the first things that we see yeah. in this movie is the extreme thin build of Christian Bale, which it's apparently he spent a lot of time uh, working on to get to that point in, in real life. And so my question to you is what do you think his thinness represent is supposed to represent in terms mm. of the psychic state that this character is within in this film? It's an interesting, it's interesting because <clears throat> when I look at him being that thin, there's more than one interpretation for that. The weight loss for me, it could be distancing himself from the Ivan character mm -hmm. from himself in reality because he wants to be separate from that person. He's not actually nourishing himself, but also I feel like it's a form of self-punishment as mm -hmm. well, right? Mm -hmm. Not feeding yourself, not having appetite. The other punishment would be not the lack of sleep as well. Yeah. So I think the thinness represents sort of a distance, distancing himself from his actual identity, obviously because there is sort of disgust with who he really is yeah. and who he was yeah. before the accident occurred. Yeah. yeah, I think that, and that's very close to what I was thinking is uh, the term I was using was uh, him wanting to disappear. And yeah. they do say that a couple times. They do actually, yeah. I think the prostitute... Um, any thinner you'll you'll disappear yeah yeah, yeah. they and say I, that multiple times yeah and i i don't think those are i think those are purposely exactly. placed lines to reference what we're talking about in that the th it's almost like his his thinness his lack of weight is not <clears throat> it's not real in some sense and that's why because we're talking about this in a that as a psychological movie yeah. And it's representing this idea of a person trying to disappear, trying to hide from the world, which it seems like that that's what he's doing in reality. He's trying to hide from the world. He's trying to hide from himself because of the accident that he caused. That's a, uh, I could see that. I can agree with you. I've had patients who have had similar builds. Yeah and have had similar thought processes they've had diagnoses and um 
it was to that extreme. Yeah. So I do agree that that could be a correct yeah. interpretation. The idea of disappearing or yeah. ceasing to exist. That could um, be a, does happen. That's why that's a it's a good use of uh, storytelling. I guess maybe that's a way to put it. In that, that is like what you're saying. If somebody was dealing with an, a weight issue like mm-hmm. that, and it was a psychological problem, maybe one of the interpretations of that would be that that person doesn't want to be seen. No, right? They want to. They want to disappear in some way. They want to hide. And that's maybe what they're doing that you could also argue that for people who put on a lot of weight and that people who are uh, making almost making themselves overweight in some way could be wanting to mm-hmm. not be noticed by people or not have people pay attention to them that in some happens. way. Typically those sorts of things happen in a state of trauma when mm, the person yeah, exactly. binge eats, right? Yeah. They eat. It's usually stuff feelings or they've learned that this is a coping mechanism for, you know, whatever ailment they're experiencing. Yeah. So binge eating could be a form of, you know, pushing a person away, right? Or not allowing anyone to view them as, this, as you know, this kind of an object. Mm. Typically what would happen with some patients is that they binge eat because of a traumatic experience they've had. Mm-hmm. Also the control of eating would also be another form of you know, uh, eating disorder. Yeah. And I think in his case, um, he's controlling the food intake. You see, um, he's offered food yeah. by, um, the, the woman who he was sleeping with, the prostitute. Yeah. Offering Jennifer make Jason a, Lee. Jennifer, That's her, her act, the, the actress who plays her. Okay. The actress, Jennifer Jason Lee. Um, she offered Stevie. That's her. That's Stevie. A, yeah, that's Stevie. She there. offered to make him eggs. Yeah. While the ma- the waitress also offered him mm. a piece of pie, and she also mentions, "And if you get any thinner, you will disappear." But he's restricting his eating, just as much as he's restricting his sleep. Yeah. Right. Okay. Let's. So let's. We might bounce around here in terms of these symbols because you're you mentioned a couple that I wanted to pick up on. So sure. the eggs. Mm-hmm. That's brought up a couple times, right? There's, oh, I think, at least two separate scrambled eggs, or first time I've cooked for a man. So what? Says. So what does the scrambled eggs represent? Do you a think? scrambled mind, possibly, because that's typically yeah. how you would relate scrambled yeah. eggs. It's like your brain is scrambled, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking it could be that. It could also be, and this is a little, uh, this might be pushing it a little bit, but the scrambled or cracked head of the child that he hit. Oh. And that's what it's representing. The cracked windshield. Cracked windshield too. Right. That, and cause she, I think she even says that I only, uh, you only have to crack a couple eggs or something or <laughs> some reference to cracking. But you see if this movie is purely about the unconscious, cause I think we're also talking about how this movie was unconscious it was really him confronting his unconscious yeah. thoughts. Yeah. Then that would be that kind of a connection between yeah. one and the other, meaning yeah. the crack of an egg, yeah. the crack of a skull, mm-hmm. the crack of a windshield, the he's crack take, of a few he, eggs, he's yeah, taking, scrambled eggs. So what we have to remember is uh, nearly all these symbols we're talking about are in relation to the accident. Yeah. And that's why this movie is you kind of have to watch that scene a couple times mm-hmm. because the scene is only 
a couple minutes long when they show the accident, but there's so much information it within it that we have just witnessed throughout the film over an hour and a half period of time. And it's just kind of been, uh, well, it seems like then that was very much, we can relate that to how therapy is. When we give our clinical interpretation, the patient will tell you the yeah, story that they're experiencing. That's true. It's sort of jumbled in a way. And we are left to really organize in a concise way, in a concise way, the thought process and that flashback to yeah. the accident was that organization of we're tying all the loose ends and yeah. putting it all together yeah. with this final scene. So mm-hmm. it could make sense. And it did make sense for the audience. Yeah. Right. Okay. So another one I was thinking about is what, so at one point he says, I haven't slept in a year. So that's impossible. Obviously you can't not sleep for a year. I don't think that's humanly possible. So I think that even is an uh, indication that this is a purely psychological idea within this film. And so my question then is, what does his lack of sleep represent? What is that supposed to be symbolizing? That's actually a good question. What does the lack of sleeping represent? Yeah. Like you said earlier, it probably represents him trying to control, you know... Or not control, but punish himself in a way. Mm. The lack of sleep would be, for me, a form of punishment. Deprivation. He's no, depriving himself. He, but he's also a paranoid person as well, right? Yeah. So the person who's paranoid and his fears that he's going to get found out or found, right? I think he's afraid that if he falls asleep, he's going to get caught. That's true. That could be true. Yeah. What, what are your thoughts about the, the insomnia? Well... Yeah, because I mean, I I don't, I don't doubt that. That's that's actually an interesting interpretation. Is that he could be afraid of being caught because he's not going to be alert anymore. Uh, the way I was looking at it myself, though, in terms of a symbol, is that him not al- allowing himself to sleep or not sleeping is his way of trying to avoid his unconscious. He's being alert. Well, sleeping is going into your unconscious mind. Yeah. And so instead of going into his unconscious mind where all the stuff that he doesn't want to deal with is trapped, he would actually, he would rather stay awake all the time and stay within his conscious mind. Right. And so that's why he's like not going to go to sleep is because he has to avoid it. (laughs) The only problem with not sleeping is that you're actually going to sleep. You're actually the, the one thing that happens yeah. is that it crosses over sleeping is actually that point where you know a person can integrate the thoughts and really process what happened right whatever guilty experiences he can actually process it while he's sleeping but rather than doing that it's coming in the forefront mm-hmm. it's coming into the conscious world where i believe he is actually existing he's actually going to work but he's actually seeing these things happening right the ivan character the work characters i think part of it is reality and part of it is actually the hallucinations yeah. that he's experiencing the paranoid thinking that he's experiencing yeah. right which yeah when you're not sleeping these scenes come into the forefront at mm. least with this character where he's not actually dealing with what you said earlier the yeah. unconscious well based on that if you you know the way that you're talking about it right now i would say that you're leaning more towards this not being a purely psychological film then i feel like it's both because there's moments of coherency towards the end 
we reach more of a moment of coherency when he's sort of realizing when he faces himself in the mirror and realizes it's you. Yeah. He's confronted multiple times with a photograph of himself, mm-hmm. right? With the reality that he himself was the one who committed the crime when he's told by the officer, the, the firebird is your vehicle, mm-hmm. but he runs from it. He runs from the truth. So just as you're saying, he's running from sleep, his actual unconscious. He's in fear of, looking at the reality of who he is. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I do agree that near the end of the film, there starts to become some more objective scenes, especially like when he goes to the diner and he meets the real waitress and she's talking to him about, Oh, you're usually very quiet. You're usually a mute. Yeah. And that seems like that's purely the pure reality that we're not seeing for most of the film. They say that before too, in the film, you're usually a quiet person or when they want to play poker with him, Mm -hmm. they're like, you usually don't talk. And Mm -hmm. then he starts to talk sort of thing. Right. So I think that the him talking though is not, that's, that's the confusing part. I don't know if when he's talking, if that's actually happening or if that's in his mind. Well, so the coworkers say like, I think they used to invite him. They're in the locker room. They used to invite him to play cards. Mm. And then they said at one point he got weird. Mm. Right. So there was a when shift. When he had the accident. When he had the accident, there was a shift after the accident. That's when he started to change. And yeah. it, everyone noticed a change within this person. He lost yeah. a ton of weight. Something was going on with him. And yeah. he got quiet. Yeah. Right. And usually when that happens, sort of the trauma, you'd notice that the trauma could have happened at that point. Right? Yeah. I mean, sticking to the character, that's really the shift in behavior that the his environment, his coworkers noticed about him, mm. right? So sticking to what you said earlier, there is a moment where there is some lucidity and then there's some of it is not. Some of yeah. it is his own interpretation of reality. Yeah. Right? Yep. yep. Okay. So another symbol I was thinking about is the bleach. Oh, Oh, when he's cleaning the floors? He does that many times. Yeah. He's using bleach. It's obsessive, right? Very, it is obsessive, but it's very, it's very strange. Why is he using so much bleach? I want to ask you, why do you think he's obsessively cleaning the floors in that way? Well, so I'm, I'm going back to what I'm talking about in terms of these are symbols for something. They're representing something. So I don't know if he's actually cleaning with bleach. I think that this might be part of what's in his mind. Uh And so if you're looking at this as a symbol, I would say that it means that there's a need to cleanse right. or a need to purify. Purify. Why would you Pur- need to purify? Purify himself. Yeah. From he needs what? to clean of his guilty conscience. Right. That's what it is. He's, uh, he's dirty. Obsessively cleaning the floors. Yeah. Well, and what do the floors represent? I don't know. What do they represent? Well, we walk on floors. Floors are filthy, right? Mm-hmm. Cleaning and between the crevices that's so impossible and so brutal but obsessive yeah so to me i I mean not to diagnose but sort of the obsessive compulsive behavior that he's exhibiting at that point obsessively cleaning the floors the way he was Mm -hmm. yep to me that that relates to the guilt yeah the guilt of killing somebody in the film he did right and for him, the one, the way to, I guess, to reprimand himself, right? I, 
to say it in a different term, to make to make things better would be to clean the floors, to clean the blood. Mm. Usually to clean, get rid of blood, you use something like bleach to disinfect the area, to disinfect the floors. Yeah. Right. And literally, I think that's what he was doing, cleaning the floors, disinfecting, getting rid of the evidence. Yeah. He's trying to get rid of the evidence in both a literal and a, a metaphorical way. But if that's sort of the unconscious, then yeah, that is a metaphorical way of cleaning, right? Getting rid of the evidence. It's like, I'm going to use bleach to wipe the floors down. Yeah. Which maybe that's what he wish it would have happened. Or maybe also... Um, sort of to scrub away the accident mm-hmm. as if it never existed. Yeah. And I think that's also related to the I need to clean. I need to cleanse my mind. I need to cleanse my body. Mm-hmm. I need to not to exist. This mm-hmm. never existed. That's what he's doing. Well, cleansing the mind would be cleaning the floors. Yeah. Yeah. What about the hangman game that was interesting. that's going on? What, is, that was what does that represent? I'll tell, I'll tell you what I think right well, away, if you want. Well, I think the old school punishment for when a person committed a crime or murder was sort of that... Deca- 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 the guillotine? Was, the guillotine, right, that one. But I think it used to be back before it would be that, like mm-hmm. to hang somebody for yeah. committing a crime. And at the end, he wrote Killer. And he realized that, yeah. you know, he was like the killer. But then he had so many different interpretations. Mm-hmm. Mother, I think, was another interpretation. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I think... Th- it's interesting because he was using that uh, as a way to get closer to finding out mm. what really happened, yeah. right? But someone should be punished for the crime. It was like his own clue. He was trying to like leave clues for himself. The thing about this kind of character, though, is that his conscious, right, his conscious mind... He felt so bad about the crime that he committed mm-hmm. that he had to do something like that to come back to reality, right? Yeah, yeah. Leave himself these post-it notes of a hangman. Someone should be punished for the crime, right? Someone should be punished for the crime of a hit and run, right? He actually allowed himself to get hit by a car and then yeah. claimed that someone actually hit him. Yeah. Reactive formation, right? Reenacting mm-hmm. something, something that happened, a traumatic mm-hmm. event that he witnessed. Mm-hmm. He actually had it happen to himself, maybe also to experience it, what it's like to get run over himself, the pain of being run over, right? He put himself in that position to feel maybe also like how the boy felt. Mm. I think he was really punishing himself in that way to experience all these things. The thinness, the losing of weight, the non-existence, the dying, in a way killing himself. I think when he wrote the the last letter killer on the post-it note, when he realized it was him as a killer, that's when he realized he should be punished for what he did. Mm. Actually punished by law, not him actually punishing himself. I think by realizing that he should actually be punished by law, he can actually have that empathy for himself, right? Yeah. Or that compassion. Or maybe that's really how he believes um, one should be punished for the crime that he committed by actually being upfront about it, mm-hmm. you know? Well, going, telling, telling the truth. No, telling the truth. Going to the police yeah. and admitting Being that he committed the crime, which it's true, right? One, <clears throat> when one is confronting the unconscious, it's incredibly difficult to be honest with oneself, mm. right? To look at oneself in the mirror and say, it's you. 
you're the one causing these issues. It's you. And confronting that can be incredibly difficult. Yeah. And the only way he knew how to seek help was, I have to go to the cops. Yeah. Yeah. I think him... I think the confronting the unconscious was what it was allowing him to get to that point though. It was kind of pushing him kind of like what you're saying. It was pushing him towards judging himself and, and finally like fessing up to what he did as opposed to avoiding it, which it seemed like he was doing for about a year or so. He was repressing it. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Keeping it down, not eating, restricting himself. Yeah. Yeah. So another thing I was thinking about is his relation, the two, his relation to the two main women in the film. Hmm. So we have Stevie, the prostitute, and then we have the waitress. And I kind of see them as almost like the same person in a way. Not, not really, but they kind of represent the same thing Mm -hmm. in that. uh They're both people who need to be helped or to be saved in some way. And it seems like his role with both of those characters in this film is that he's trying to help them and get them out of whatever Hmm. situation that they're in. It's almost like he's their savior. And so something I think that you brought up to me before we started the podcast was the... Uh, the so, idiot, the, mo- the book, the idiot right. by Fyodor Dostoevsky, right? Yeah. And so the, in that book, the main character, uh, Ivan, mm-hmm. who's the alter ego of, of Resnick in this film. Right. But the character Ivan, who's supposed to be the hero in that book, one the, one of the people that he's very close to in the story is a person who's kind of like a tragic female character Mm -hmm. who can't kind of get herself out of trouble and keeps going with bad guys and allowing them to kind of take advantage of her. And the character Ivan is trying to save her and is trying to rescue her. And so we see Resnick reading that book at the beginning of the film. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering if this is another symbol in a way or a representation in that he's seen himself as a savior because he is identifying with that character of Ivan from the idiot and that these women are types of women like the woman, I think it's Natasha perhaps in the idiot that he's trying to save and he's trying to rescue. And so it's also not only does it, kind of play out that representation, but it also helps the character to feel better about himself because he's the one who's helping other people out who are helpless and making it seem like maybe his life isn't so bad and he doesn't have to do anything about his own situation. I think it's true. There are times when a person who is actually in this kind of a situation would actually behave in that way Mm -hmm. or see themselves as a savior to these people, right? Yeah. I agree with you. Um, Do you think that those characters, though, the the prostitute and the waitress, does it seem like that's kind of well, we how see. their characters are, where they're kind of needing this guy to assist them and get them out of their situations? 
that's what it seems like. That's how he interprets them to be. I kind of don't feel like they're they were real. They're people. not. They obviously, not real people. The, the waitress is obviously not no, real. Me, both of them represent, like you said, two people that he wants to save, but they are both parts of himself that he wants to save. Mm. One of them is a mother. I think go, he goes on a date to the circus or something like that with the waitress. They go to the they go to an amusement park, yeah. and so this is another yeah a, a reason why we can understand a lot of this as symbolical Symbolic. is that he later looks at his picture book from his childhood and looks at a picture of his mother. And in that picture, it's, it's the same exact picture as he took of the waitress and her son at the amusement park, but with him and his mother when he was young. And the boy and so, had what disorder? Yeah. But he's, he was, envisioning him well, taking a picture of them at the amusement park because yeah. that was something that happened in his own life. He yeah. was using details from his own life to construct some type of dream or fantasy that was going on. That's how the unconscious works. Yeah. So the unconscious will use stuff from your past or your reality mm -hmm. to, you know, speak to you. Yeah. And he was avoiding that by yeah. not dreaming, by not sleeping. Yeah. And the thing was the boy, similar to the book, you know, Ivan, the main character of the book, similar to the boy who is him at the... Mm. Yeah, he's the, epileptic. He's epileptic. Yeah. Epileptic. Oh, I didn't even pick up on that. Yeah, that's, that's true. Because Well, Fyodor Dostoevsky was epileptic. No, okay. And so he he was writing himself into that book. Yeah. But that, the main character in that's The probably a bigger is, connection. Uh, does have epilepsy. There's another... One of the characters in um, The Brothers Karamazov has epilepsy as well. That's really another big connection. Too. He writes himself into his books, I, obviously. Well, I think epileptics do have hallucinations. From what I've read, they do actually have hallucinations before they get into that. Yeah, that state. Well, Dostoevsky said that he had at least one seizure where he felt like he was in a mystical state, <laughs> and that he experienced like the greatest experience you could ever have of of anything. Almost like a psychedelic trip. That's why people use ayahuasca. Yeah. Yeah. But going back to the movie, yeah, the kid, I think, does represent him. The woman, the waitress, represents his mother. Mm. And the prostitute represents maybe an aspect of himself that he wants to save. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. Because even when they go, they, they then go on that um, with, a, with a boy at the amusement park. He goes on that ride. Mm -hmm. He goes on the ride of... Uh, route six 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 six. Wow, the route to hell. Okay, and even the and the boy asks, "What is a route?" And he's like, "It's kind of a path you're taking when you make certain decisions in life, and that's the way you end up going." Which is basically his story, right? He chose one path, and this is the way that he's gone. But when he he goes into they go into the ride, yeah, and they get to a certain point where there's a fork in the road, and it says salvation to the right or hell to the left <laughs> and he's like go right go right go right. <laughs> it's so funny because he's he's saying telling the right go right go right and it goes to the left obviously it goes to hell and then they they pass through the realms of hell or whatever and that's when the boy has a seizure but seizure, yeah. that route i don't know if you remember this but when he's running from the cops and he goes into the, the sewer, sewer yeah. That's the route. So it's like all these things that have happened 
because that that seems like it actually happened is that he was running from the cops and and he goes into the sewer so that was just kind of put into a fantasy that he was having in that amusement park that's another thing then the idea of deja vu Mm-hmm. Right, confronting the unconscious, but having a premonition for what the future can hold. Mm. Right, yeah. And what he was experiencing was similar to um, what happened when he was running from the cops. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another one was when he actually, um, I think he killed Ivan or attempted to kill Ivan. Yeah. So direct confrontation with himself. What I. Can- I mean, I think we can talk about these symbols forever if we wanted to, but I don't know. Is there anything that you feel like you'd be interested in talking about specifically? You kind of started mentioning Ivan, and we haven't really talked about that character yet. I don't know if that's something that you wanted to get into more, if there's any other topic that you were wanting to hit on. I mean, for me, what stands out with Ivan, if it's, it's actually him. And every time he's confronted with a picture... Actually who? Um, the main Trevor Resnick. Trevor Resnick. Okay. It's I actually, just want to make sure that we're clarifying that for people who are okay. Listening. So you're saying, and I agree with you that Ivan, Ivan is actually Ivan is Resnick. They're the same person. But he imagines Ivan as being this grotesque, ugly man um, with the southern accent, too. Mm-hmm. Just as the type of person that would commit such a crime. But the skinny Resnick, Trevor Resnick, right? Mm-hmm. He's superior. He has his air of superiority. I will save you. I will help you sort of thing. Yeah. But not really wanting to confront the reality of who he is. Yeah. I think if he were to actually confront the reality of who he is or was, that Ivan character wouldn't look the same. Mm. And sort of as if a person at times carries a fear of who they really are, a fear of looking at themselves. Yeah. Right, but I think if he would have actually confronted that part of himself, spoken to that part of himself, I don't think Ivan would be as scary. It would actually be himself, the part of himself that he had been avoiding, that committed a crime. That maybe because of the fear of the repercussions of the crime, mm-hmm. he ran away. Mm-hmm. Right. It was only until the end do we see yeah. him have some relief when he's locked in the jail cell. But even towards the end, Ivan followed him to the cell, waving at him sort of saying goodbye yeah i walked you here to get here yeah he it seemed like at that point he the ivan persona or whatever it is is kind of saying okay now i'll leave you alone because you've finally done what you've needed to do which is own up to what you did yeah i mean the other part for me i mean he committed the crime I just felt like the film was really an exaggeration, a really big exaggeration of a person's fear of confronting. Because there are so many people who commit these crimes mm-hmm. who don't behave in that way. Mm-hmm. But I, I guess each person is different, yeah. right? Each person deals with the unconscious or their own guilt in a different way, right? But I, the film really shows an extreme, yeah, an extreme of how a person's psyche can attack them physically yeah so it's sort of the the split between the psyche right the spirit and matter mm. one and the other the spirit mm. and the psyche speaks right about hey you committed a crime you did something wrong but it takes it out on the body right the matter yeah and that's what's happening sort of a disconnect or an anger between both and i think for his character the loss of weight the, the anger there was an anger there mm. you know with himself mm. 
Yeah. Like, he couldn't look at himself, confront yeah. himself. Yeah. Yeah. And he didn't want to, he didn't want to deal with that Ivan character, right? He wanted to get rid of him. He wanted to kill Ivan. He wanted to make him disappear. Yeah. Um, he was disturbed by seeing Ivan. Like when he, he sees him in the, when they're at the job and he kind of distracts him. And that's what kind of causes that other guy's arm to get cut off. Yeah. It was like, he was, he was transfixed by it. You know, he couldn't take his eyes off the guy almost. Yeah. He didn't, realizing that Ivan was himself. Right. So w- would we consider Ivan his shadow then in, in using Jungian psychology terms? Because everything that you were describing sounds like what you would describe as a person's shadow. But I feel like Ivan wasn't the bad guy in this. It was actually him. Yeah, but uh, I mean, I he's not bad it. in what way? What do you mean by that? The shadow would be aspects of our self that we don't like, right? And mm-hmm. Ivan represents an aspect of himself that he doesn't like. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we give it that definition, then yeah, Ivan does represent the shadow for him. Yeah. This fig- Yeah, it is. Because it's a figure of himself that he can't even bear to look at, but mm-hmm. it's coming to the forefront because this is how he acted. Yeah. You know, committed a crime. It's all the It's all the parts about also the accident that almost he like he wants to deny because Ivan is the one with the the nice car and Ivan is the one who's smoking cigarettes and is drinking and seems to be the but that's who he actually was that's before. what I'm saying yeah so that's what he's trying to disidentify with he doesn't want to identify with the parts of himself that caused him to run that boy over so those are all the like the the nasty, ugly parts of, about him that he was trying well, to run away from. Those are the ugly parts of his character. Mm-hmm. And maybe the shadow side that he was exhibiting and displaying in person. Right? Yeah. And he realized that that's what got the boy killed. And Ivan is someone who ran away. The Ivan, the persona that did exist or manifest in reality. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Did you notice when he's kind of following Ivan on the highway and he gets his license plate number. Mm-hmm. Did you notice what happens right after that? No, what, what happens? Because he says the license plate number, which is, I don't know, it's three letters and three numbers. And then we get a quick shot of the truck pulling over mm-hmm. and oh. the truck's license plate number is... Three letters. It's three, the same three letters and the same three numbers, but they're inverse it's kind of like the the complete opposite, but they're the same exact numbers and letters, and so it's giving us an early indication that that was the switch. You know, he switches over from this one kind of person or persona over to another one when he That's when he changes extreme. his car. That's an extreme, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting movie. What does Jung call that when there's a shift, like an extreme shift? Antinodromia? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, going from one opposite to the other. Right. That's really what I, I think he was doing. Yeah, and that makes sense too because you think about the resonant character. He, throughout most of the film, he's, a, he's supposed to be a good guy. And so a lot of the things that are happening to him in the movie 
for, to him seem like they're conspiracies or it's other people's fault and other people are kind of out to get him in a way. Yeah. And then even when something does go wrong, people are always like, oh, it's okay, don't worry about it. Like you did nothing wrong. So when he switches over to that person, the, the person post-accident, it's almost like he's, he's seen himself as this pure person, like yeah. this pure figure that can do no wrong That's a, and, yeah, is, and is so good. And he's going to change this prostitute and he's going to talk to this waitress at the, at the airport diner and make her life better. He and thinks himself as Jesus. He be, he's, yeah. He starts to become the kid's dad, surrogate dad in some way, like because he doesn't have a father himself. That's actually sad. He imagined himself taking care of the kid that he killed. Yeah, but that it is what you were talking about. He's going to a complete opposite because it seems from whatever we saw about his life in that couple of minutes at the end yeah. that he was probably living a very selfish lifestyle and kind of just doing whatever he wanted and maybe it was like a party guy or whatever. And so he kind of has to take on this other extreme stance to maybe convince himself of a different reality. Well, I mean, others who take that kind of reality, monks, right? Mm. Monks like go, they take a vow of silence. Yeah. They like restrict their eating. Mm -hmm. And so he's going into that idea of being a hermit, right? So you can reach his state of enlightenment, even reading these books by, you know, these Russian authors. Yeah. You yeah. know, these great literary, literary, literary novels and shit like that. Mm -hmm. why, why, right? To reach a state of enlightenment, to relief, again, to relief, I guess to punish himself. Yeah. But to re really reach that point of understanding. And that is... I think when one takes those vows of silences or, mm. you know, restricts their eating, they're, they're trying to get into that state yeah. to confront the things that they are unable to confront, whether consciously or unconsciously. And I think in his instance, it was unconscious after mm. the crime mm -hmm. that he, he committed to that sort of um, state of consciousness or state of being yeah. of restrictive eating of wanting to disappear. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, I mean, probably had the opposite effect of what he wanted when he left this crime scene, mm. really, because if he left the scene, it was because he couldn't deal with the repercussions of the accident. He ran away from it. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, I guess he realized that he can't run away from everything, that playboy lifestyle. Mm. Like maybe we've talked about this in the prior podcast of the Vanilla Sky with Tom Cruise's character, yeah. you know, living selfishly without a care in the world. Yeah, I think at one point that kind of lifestyle comes back and bites you in the ass, and mm -hmm. for him it did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he couldn't he couldn't sustain it for very long. No, I would be interested to know more about the character because we really don't know anything about him. Obviously, it's very limited. It is um, the scenes, uh, the background. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What do you yeah. think about? him being a machinist i wonder if that's another representation of something or another symbol for something so it seems like a dangerous job mm -hmm. but it's also an isolated job it's also very industrial and i think that has to do more with the setting right if you relate it to the, the russian novel in a way i think mm -hmm. i was trying to look for maybe even connections between 
old Russia and, you know, the the way the industrial setting of the movie. Yeah. Which is sort of dark and gloomy. And I imagine that being old Russian sort of yeah. background. And stuff well, they like put that. the, they filmed the movie in sort of a sepia tone uh, um, filter, mm-hmm. right? It wasn't filmed with a normal filter. It was kind of a little washed out, right? But I think mm-hmm. that's also used purposely to kind of make you feel like this isn't a normal reality that we're watching. No. I mean, it's sort of realizing that it wasn't really conscious. It was unconscious. Yeah. Only until the end when he's arrested, do you realize, okay, now he's in jail. Yeah. And now he can sleep. I wonder if they blur it out. I feel like when he's in the jail cell, it's sort of that state of sleeping. Um, What do you mean? When, I mean, when he gets to the jail, I think that's when he can go to sleep. But there are times when the person uses drugs, right? Alcohol, cocaine, marijuana for an extensive period of time. Mm. After they stop using, after they get sober, I'm often told that it, it's like they're coming out of a dream. Mm. They're coming back to reality. Mm. And for me, he was in that state. He wasn't sleeping. But he was confronting different aspects of himself, hallucinating or seeing things, hearing yeah. things that weren't really there, yep. conversing with these things. Like the blood coming out of the fridge. That mm-hmm. doesn't seem like it was real, obviously. No, no. Or seeing the boy get killed by Ivan, that obviously didn't happen. No, it wasn't it was until he said, hey, I want to report a hit and run. I'm, hit and run. I'm the criminal who did that. That's when I think it was. I think before then, when he looked at himself in the mirror, confronted himself, and said, "You're the killer. It's you." Mm. I was wondering what was the trigger, but it was actually the post-it after killing killing uh, Ivan, right? Yeah. Dumping his body, he sees him again. Yeah. And the post-it. I think that's what triggered him, and looking at himself in the mirror, that's when he was like, "Okay, this yeah. is me." Yeah. I think that's when he was getting that state of lucidity. Yeah. Actually, awakening from his. Uh, Insomnia, yeah, his unconscious state of yeah. behaving, yeah, All right. And there's also a couple instances of not only with the post-it note, but also after he apparently kills Ivan and rolls him into the water. Mm-hmm. Both the post-it note and the person who ends up being Ivan, who comes up behind him, both say, "Who are you?" Yeah, and so that's one of the question that keeps getting asked in this movie is who is this guy and it's it's kind of telling us in a way that we have to think about this might not be who you he might not be who you really think he is i mean that's a big question who are you when you're running away from who you really are because Mm. you're no longer the playboy or who he was the the shadow of what we said the ivan character right yeah because at that point ivan and him were integrated there wasn't a distance between either one the who are you becomes you're a criminal Mm. you ran away from committing a crime i think right so the who are you is a difficult question to ask because because of that crime his life changed so his interpretation of who he is changed as well he's a different person yeah literally became a different person yeah yeah well this is good man i think we kind of covered a lot of ground today yeah. 
seems like this was a I don't know if we, did we come to a conclusion is this a purely psychological film or not I think it was I think it was a purely yeah. psychological film okay a lot of symbols a lot of representations of the unconscious mind it's it's kind of hard to get your mind wrapped around I think we could do mm. the other one I was thinking could be good to do at one point is Mulholland Drive I don't know if you've ever seen that movie but oh, no I haven't seen it it's yet definitely a uh, in that category um, there's a lot of a lot we could play with there I'm sure I feel like this podcast could have gone long gone longer honestly yeah because so much of the symbolism for sure um, yeah but I'm looking forward to Mahal and Drive it's gonna yeah. be good well I think we're we'll do that at some point but the mm-hmm. something that somebody had suggested to do is for us to say what we're gonna do next week we should decide and I think what <laughs> I think what we talked about doing is we're going to do face-off next week. Oh, I thought it was going to be Clockwork Orange. Maybe that'll be... We'll do that further down the road? Yeah. Okay. Then we're going to do face-off next week. I'm down. And so for for this podcast, I'm going to wear a cutout copy, cardboard cutout copy (laughs) of your face, and you're going to do the same of mine. That's going to be scary. And then we're just going to kind of do the podcast like that. And we'll see how it goes. I'll probably watch that movie tonight, honestly. That movie was like one of my favorite movies when I was a yeah. kid. So fucking creepy. Yeah. Hopefully we can... Oh my God. We won't laugh too much while we were wearing those cardboard cutouts of each other's faces. I think I'll try not to. I'll try not to be afraid. But the fun, we should just like trade voices. And <laughs> that would be good too. That's going to yeah. be a good movie. That, and, uh, that, that's definitely something we'll probably talk about in like, that uh, podcast is how that happened. But You know, there's some, there was actually some surgeons wanted to do a head transplant mm-hmm. on patients, actual head transplant. And there was one actually that was done on a person. Mm-hmm. But the idea was to um, put that person's brain onto another person's body. It's not similar to face off. Oh, wow. But the thing is, is once a person takes on the role of another person, do they now take on the full character? Do they become the whole person? Mm. But I think we could even debate about nurture versus nature. Yeah. Cause then in that environment, you have to adopt. Um, he, they both literally did adopted the environment to survive. And yeah. I think that's the thing. That's true. People have to adopt environments to survive mm-hmm. in certain societies. Okay. I think we're, I think we need to save this conversation for next week. Looking forward to it. Yeah. You just teased everybody very well. <laughs> I guess. All right, man. Well, this was uh, another good one. Appreciate your time. And this is Deconstructing the Psyche. This is Michael. This is Amy. And we'll see you guys next week. Take it easy. Take care. Bye.